Welcome to Off Key, a podcast about music professionals for non-music professionals. I'm your host, Linsa Arnold. So last week, we wrapped up our first season of the podcast, and as I announced at the end of the episode, we'll be starting up a second season next week, which I'm really looking forward to. We have some really great guests lined up, so I'm really excited to share our conversations with you. Throughout the process of producing this podcast, I've learned so, so much, and as someone who prior to working with Membran had little to no knowledge about the music industry, aside from being a consumer of music, it was honestly such a privilege for me to be able to learn about some of the inner workings of the industry from its participants. Season 2 starts next week on Monday, May 27th, but I thought I'd put together a little bonus episode to take you through some of my favorite moments throughout the season before we dive into some new conversations next week. If you enjoyed today's episode and, you know, the podcast in general, I ask that you please subscribe to Offkey on your favorite listening platform so you don't miss the premiere of season two and that you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts as the reviews really do help us out. Okay, let's get into it. I would like to start with one of my favorite parts of the podcast, which was really just learning how everyone first got not only into the music industry, but into music itself. So whether that was growing up surrounded by music in the family or kind of going the DIY route and learning to play an instrument on their own. Here's Boslin with his story. I think it started for me personally. Um, Like I was, okay, so I played rugby for like all my life. And then just during that, the whole time process, I was just always writing music on the side and I was always like making music. It was like pretty cringy, but (laughs) I just had to start somewhere. And then um, I basically came to university first year. I was injured still because I recently tore my ACL, came back, played rugby, still writing. But through that whole like depression process of like having surgery and just getting like stuck in like my bedroom and I can't move, I would just write songs and stuff. And then um, basically I just made like little voice memos. And then that's when me and Isaac met. And then I just show him like my voice memos. And he actually was like the first person that kind of like believed in it and like said it could be bigger than what it actually was. So then I was still playing rugby. But uh, I finally, like, started, like, getting into music more and then tore the ACL again. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to do music full time. And then we just, like, started kicking it. As someone that plays an instrument myself but has in no way ever considered myself a quote-unquote artist when it comes to music, I'm in such awe and admiration of songwriters. And it's been such a pleasure to hear about the ways different artists approach the songwriting process. Here's Catherine Calder on some of her experiences. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. Like, um, I've just had the experience that every group of people that I work with, the experience is very different. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, with the new pornographers, like the parts have been pretty collaborative um, for the most part, maybe, yeah, Um, where, you know, like I have, I, 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 well, it's funny that the process has actually also changed over the years, which is why I'm sort of like, (laughs) like, I'm like, like struggling to come up with a summary of the process because um it has changed so with the new pornographers what would happen is typically is that i would go into the studio with carl who i talked about earlier Mm -hmm. who's the main songwriter and you know kind of like visionary (laughs) for the band and john collins who's often producing record with carl and also like kind of you know like has a vision um and so I would go into the studio with those two in particular. They would have already worked on the songs for a long time. This is like a typical process. Mm-hmm. And then it changes sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and I would go into the studio and I would, you know, sing. I'd have lyrics. They would ask me to sing like, okay, can you do this part? And I'd sing it. And then um, they'd ask me to play keyboards and I'd, you know, 
like is it just kind of throwing songs at me that I haven't heard before and mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like like their lyrical content as well or? yeah like none of this you know I've heard okay. up until like, I walk into the studio oh, okay. generally and so it's all a little bit like like I never remember what I've done mm-hmm. I, because it's all such a blur and and then they go away and they kind of chop up the 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 instruments and and they do their crazy whatever they do change Carl's constantly changing how he writes a song so he's always um like how what I mean is that Carl changes his songs up until the last minute Mm -hmm. so even if I play on say like a verse it's not really guaranteed that that verse is even going to sound like that by the time the song is actually like on the shelf you know Mm -hmm. so it's been a very watching Carl work and watching him put together songs has been very interesting because he do you, um, the expression "kill your darlings," um, I haven't heard of which it, yeah. is um, like basically don't like don't be afraid to kill the most precious idea if it's not working. Mm-hmm. So like you can be really attached to your ideas, but if they aren't really working, then get, then they're then they're done. You know. Mm-hmm. So this kind of, so he's very like fast and loose with ideas, and I think that that certainly has had an impact on me and how I view parts for songs is it's kind of like well this is what I came up with today (laughs) so I came up I came up with this part today and if it's no longer serving the song then it's gone a topic that came up often with our guests was how the recent changes in the music landscape in regards to digital streaming have changed the way in which artists release new music I talked to Kirsten Ludwig about the strategy behind the release of her most recent album, We Get It Now. With the rise in, like, digital music, I just don't know if it makes sense to release records anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, if singles are, like, maybe... Yeah, 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 like, people are still releasing records, but it's the people that, like, audiences want to hear from, you know? So, like... Yeah, I think it's just the question we were just facing the question of like, okay, do we release nine singles or do we release a record mm-hmm. or do we release an EP of three singles and then release a record in January? So we ended up just deciding to release three singles kind of three months before mm-hmm. the record release and then release the record, do a couple of release shows, which we did, and then just kind of see what happens from that exposure of the record like that's kind of what I wanted to do is just release some music and I think because some of the songs aren't necessarily singles and Mm. yeah I wanted this record was so important to me to like prove to my not only to myself but to everyone that like I could do this and so yeah it was like half of it was that yeah it was this story and this these like songs that kind of were written in the same period and had the same essence Mm -hmm. but also the other half was that I didn't want to sit on these songs any longer like I really wanted to just get them out and kind of move on just because I'd been playing these songs for a while and also like when you're writing about or like you have all these songs about this really intense emotional period like whether you believe it or not like when you're holding on to that like yeah. you can't really move forward right mm-hmm. and like I think we knew what the singles were so it was just kind of like mm-hmm. let's just do this it just feels right to just put it out and then see what happens as some of you may know I'm in the last semester of my business degree at UVic 
And throughout this experience, since it was a co-op, I was able to connect with another student in the entrepreneurship program, Isaac Markinson, who just finished his second year. Isaac is the manager of Balsin, who we heard from previously, and we were able to talk about some of the challenges that he's faced as a 20-year-old manager in the music industry. Every, every time we go out, we book a show, anything, and he introduces me as his manager. I, I first get that look where they're like, All right, is he serious? Is he joking? And it's not, it's not always like that because a lot of people just know that, sure, I'm 20 years old, but I'm capable of doing what I do. Yeah. But a, a lot of people just try to kind of big brother me in this music industry because they think that me being young means I just don't know anything about the industry. So they kind of try to give me a little... And I love taking advice and criticism, but they just try to kind of charity it to me. So that's something I, f- I get a lot of. But... Uh, I don't really have a problem with it because even when someone's trying to kind of big brother me, I I do just kind of observe and just learn stuff from them even in that way. Mm -hmm. Everyone has something to offer. In a world that is so driven by social media and an industry where success, though the term means something different to everyone, is often defined through audience size or number of listeners, I talked to Quinn Bates, aka Quarterback, about balancing opportunity for exposure with authenticity after he was approached by Dutch DJ Nicky Romero to collaborate on his song Bittersweet. That that was kind of always on my mind working with Coco Holla because he did EDM music. He did like mm-hmm. he had like that Kygo energy with a lot of like tropical house kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I thought that it was okay because it's still in the pop realm. Yeah. And I'm I'm not like against doing other genre like other genres. I write R and B music and I love R and B music and stuff like that. But I love all kinds of music. Mm-hmm. I would honestly do a country song. I'm not even kidding. Mm-hmm. I've been listening to country music lately. I don't know what's happening. I'm just going with it. But like, yeah. I mean, I was kind of nervous about that because people always say like, don't do this. Like, stick to your brand because like mm-hmm. people don't like it when you're not. But I don't quite fully understand that yeah yet yeah it hasn't really done any disservices to me yet mm-hmm. but i don't know i feel like rihanna like she does some yeah, crazy exactly. like her stuff's pretty like dirty like mm-hmm. r&b pop hip-hop stuff and then she'll do a song with calvin harris yeah. you know what i mean so i just i think that it was in my head i'm like this is fine mm-hmm. it is exposure i get to be putting my name out there myself out there and the song wasn't like it's still my voice like Mm -hmm. and i still got to do some riffs in it i got to show off my range like do what i do in any other song that i write so it was it was fine in my head yeah still is on the same topic of authenticity i also really enjoyed learning about how Haley blay a musician who has also formed a successful career and community on youtube has been working to shift her audience from youtube towards music in an effort to pursue her passions not that i am I'm ashamed of being a YouTuber, mm-hmm. I guess, because it's. I think I owe everything I have in terms of an audience to that mm-hmm. right now, because it was such a great place to grow, like a loyal fan base, I guess, yeah. and a brand or like a perception of myself mm-hmm. that is um, how I kind of want to be seen as like just a genuine individual, and I don't know. Yeah, I'm proud of it but then i'm also like done with it now okay interesting. you know i'm like just kind of exhausted myself in terms of internet content that i can shell out yeah and that's not music 
Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I guess I'm just trying to take myself more seriously now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm almost 25. I need to start now. But I did use it as kind of like this platform to build everything upon. Mm-hmm. And I think in the last couple of years, exposing people to my music or making it more of a job, like instead of YouTube, I'm moving into just being considered an art, like a musician or an artist. Yeah. So it's great to have this group of people that are following me online follow me into this next chapter. Of course, yeah. Which is really cool. But yeah, I'm just kind of done with the whole being perceived as like, it, it, what is the word I'm looking for? Like an online creator or like an influencer, like influencer kind of yeah. thing. I don't relate to that. I don't feel any sort of sentiment to that yeah. person that I can be considered as or I was. Yeah. Something that's come up a few times with guests is also the importance of surrounding yourself with the right people and the magic that can come out of a successful collaboration. Here's David Ward and Jeanette Wilkinson, an artist and manager team, on their experience in working together. It's so much better. <laughs> I mean, ultimately, I mean, because it's hard. So it's, if you if you have somebody to bounce ideas off of or, you know, pick you up when you're down and, and vice versa, it just makes life so much easier. And it it is sort of sparked creativity and interest in the um in sort of, in sort of the business side of things i think you you can kind of lose perspective really quickly when you're on your own or or maybe travel too far down like we were saying before the, the wrong rabbit holes um yeah and there are some things that i just really don't want to do sometimes and <laughs> and jenny will gracefully pick those up from time to time <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like I say, you know, I did some of that in, in uh, started exploring business and, and stuff in my undergrad. And um, I do like the organization side of things. Um, I don't, I, I, I do like balance though. I never like to be too mired in accounting stuff or um, because then you kind of, yeah, like you can lose perspective of, of why you're doing it, you know? Um, so it, and it depends on who you are, but I, I definitely need that, that balance. While Jean-Vivre Reset and I also talked about the importance of collaboration, it was also really cool to learn about how she has decided to take a more independent approach to the release of her most recent album, No Water, No Flowers. I recently am uh, an independent artist. I used to have a, a label and a manager and all the, all the stuff, but I decided that I needed to kind of take control of my career and my art and kind of I don't want to say start over because I don't feel like I'm starting over I feel like I'm kind of going to the next level next step but I kind of needed to gain more control over over my art so I'm recently independent again but I love it I feel I feel really great and it's it was a a really good decision for me to make I mean I I was always um like uh oh how do I say this in English I always like uh, paid for all the production of everything I did, I've I've always been in charge, and with my label, I was um, it, it's called licensing, so I still like was in charge of all the decisions, and but you know, because I was in charge of all the decisions, and because I was I was doing a lot of work, I just thought, I think I could do it on my own, and I mean, 2019, record labels. I mean, I love record labels, but the industry is changing so much, and 
I don't think they are as important as they used to be. And I feel like with, you know, Spotify, Apple Music and like the streaming and it gives a lot of power to the artists. And I think we have to take advantage of that and try to take control over our own careers if, if you can. I mean, I'm a very like hardworking person and I'm very, very organized. I know some artists are maybe not as organized as me, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I just thought I had the potential to to kind of do it on my own for 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 now for this album it was this album was 100% me and I just felt like it I needed to do it on my own having grown up in Victoria myself I really enjoyed connecting with some of the members of Victoria's local music industry from artists to managers and label owners and more here's Renee Crawford owner of the Copper Owl on the ways in which she's seen Victoria's music industry change since she moved here from Kelowna um I think it's grown a lot since um, I first moved to Victoria and since we opened the Copper Owl even, um, which was in uh, 2013. So, but I think one of the main reasons is just because there are more venues now that do allow for more musicians to play in various spaces and um, in various genres. So, um, yeah, I think that it's grown quite a bit and um, it's diversified a lot and also there's some really great people in town that are working really hard um, to organize music shows and that's really important I think um, in like a really um, healthy music community is um, having people who are going to put themselves out there to be promoters and um, organizing shows because it's it's tough I mean you're putting um, you know a lot of risk into um, putting on shows for for you know for the audience for the bands um, often promoters barely make any money um, because it's you know it's hard to make money in the music industry in general um, but but yeah I think that all of those things have really helped support um, the growth of the music scene in Victoria. On a similar topic to music venues and live music, here's Alexis Young of the band Blonde Diamond on the importance of live shows and creating a unique and memorable experience for audiences. I've kind of always been of the mindset that a live show should feel different. It should feel new every time. Like you shouldn't really know what to expect because you're you're going there to experience you know humans creating something live for you on stage even though it's been rehearsed and it's been practiced and um you know there there is an element of structure to it but there's like that that excitement of knowing that it is being crafted for you right in front of you so you know anything could go wrong or anything could happen and there's just kind of this air of spontaneity and with the with the record it's kind of like you know that it's like your old reliable, like the sound's not going to change. Like it's, it's always going to sound the exact same. And so I do feel like sometimes a little bit disappointed personally when I go to see a show of an artist that I really love and their, their performance is just verbatim their recording on the album. And, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, well, I know what this sounds like. I like what it sounds like. I was kind of hoping that, I don't know, maybe you would give it a new spin or an interesting, like, development or kind of, like, riff on it and kind of inject, like, a little bit of, like, newness or freshness of 
something that you wouldn't get from listening to the album, which is why I feel like people go to shows and like pay money to go see shows. It's like there should be something special about that moment that you wouldn't get from the album. I think that, you know, people who have like incredible technical prowess who are able to, you know, play things like perfectly every single time or, you know, they have like incredible memorization or incredible like technique and dexterity and skills that you're just like, wow, that's amazing. And that's, that is a skill in and of itself. And that's, that's really amazing. Um, but then when you go to see a show and there's someone performing to like a backing track and there's, there's not even like a human being creating that sound for you, it's kind of just, I mean, sometimes when I'm feeling bitchy, I just call it glorified karaoke because, you know, there's no, there's, there's nobody else, you know, on stage supporting this singer unless it's like, you know, they have like one other person and maybe the singer's, you know, playing another instrument as well. But it just, I don't know, it just feels like a cop out for me. And I feel like there's a struggle um, in the industry right now because I know even for us as a, as a five piece band, it's actually, we're pretty rare and, um, you know, we've often encountered situations where, you know, we've been offered something and they're like, well, yeah, but you've got to scale down to a three piece. And I'm like, well, that's not the deal. That's not, that's not how this performance goes. Like it's, if you get the five of us, you get the full experience of how we want to present this music to the audience and to you, or you don't get us at all. And you can find a three piece who would fit, you know, suit your needs. Um, but, you know, people were like, well, just, you know, just scale it back, just play some recordings, you know, and I'm like, it's not the same. It's it's not even going to be the same at all. And I don't want to, like, sell the people who have come, you know, become our fans short on, like, a watered down version of a Blonde Diamond show that's like, no, that's, that's not what people are signing up for. That's not why people come to see us, because it's like, they don't want to just see it, like, you know, me hit play on something and then not have, like, my incredible bandmates there supporting me and, like, you know, serving up fabulous energy. Like, I, and, and I feed off of their energy as well. Like, I would never want to perform, like, solo with just a backing track, you know? It's like, there's just that kind of, like, organic quality and, like, energy to having actual human bodies on stage creating sounds for you and... um yeah, I think I think it's it's just been tough like recently because it is also expensive to tour with five people, um, and so you know people are like, how do we streamline? You know, we have the technology to streamline, and I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Like, we have the technology, but the technology, in my opinion, sometimes makes things more sterile, and it's just it's cheaper. But it's it's cheaper financially, but then it also cheapens the whole experience. And so it's like, well, what would you rather? And for me, I'm like, I'd rather just not play that show. I wouldn't want to play like a subpar half-ass show with a recording when I know that like as a five-piece will, you know, blow the roof off of somewhere if you give us enough tequila. Continuing on that same topic of live music, we've also had some really great stories about both good and bad moments on tour. Here's Sarah McDougall, Murray Porter, and Joey Clarkson on some of their more memorable moments. Yeah, 
Uh, I played at uh, Hillside last year, and um, which is a festival in Guelph. Mm-hmm. This is uh, one challenge that can happen is that your stage isn't set up like the way you normally mm-hmm. have it. So they'd set up the monitor for my bass player like right behind me. And I always like take some steps back. Oh no. Um, and I literally like fell straight <sighs> backwards in slow motion, kept playing my guitar. Oh no. And then somehow got up, I think from my like stomach muscles <laughs> and kept playing the song. That's so cool. <laughs> but unfortunately it was like packed. Oh and uh, which is good, but but I'm fortunate in some ways because I've had so many people contact me after and was like, I saw you at Hillside. Oh my god. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> that's kind of amazing. Yeah. That's so hardcore. <laughs> I felt a little bit hardcore because yeah. I was like, okay, I actually like kept playing the song through that. Yeah. Which I think, you know, I'm kind of proud of myself for yeah. that moment. <laughs> that's kind of insane that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think when the adre- adrenaline is going, you're just, it's, uh, something just happens. You don't feel any pain or anything yeah. like that. Or, you know, I've had times where I've been super sick and gone yeah. on stage and then suddenly I don't have any like phlegm anymore. Or, you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, and then you get off the stage and you're like, ah. yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. Okay, here, here, here's my best, my best story of all time. Is uh, I was playing down in Tulalip, which is uh, north of Vancouver, down in, I mean, south of Vancouver, down in the Washington State. And I uh, was opening a show for Etta James and B.B. King. So, like, totally mellow, small crowd. You know, and it was like a casino, right? So, it was an outdoor concert. And uh, so, I did my, my shtick, you know, and I, you know. BB was amazing, a wonderful man. Got he met my parents and my friends, and my friend, uh, the actress tattoo Carlo was with us, and we all took pictures and everything it was great. But uh, I finished my set, and uh, she had finished her set, and BB was getting ready, and we all had little trailers in the back, and so uh, there's my trailer, and there's her trailer, and BB had his trailer for his band, but he he stayed on his bus. Anyways, I'm walking by Etta James' trailer, and I see her. Uh, sitting on the couch there by yourself and nobody around. So I, you know, I walked on over and I knocked on the door and she goes, who is it? Like Etta James, what? And I said, hello, uh, excuse me, ma'am. My, my name is uh, Murray Porter and I'm a Mohawk blues man. I opened up the show tonight. She goes, wait a minute, you're native? I said, yes, ma'am, I, I, yeah, I am. She goes, well, get in here. And I opened up the screen door and I walked in. And she put out her hand, and I thought she was going to shake my hand. Nope. She pulled me right down on her lap, and she gave me a big red lipstick kiss on my cheek. And she says, you know what? Us brown people got to stick together. And I floated out of that trailer, and uh, I haven't looked back since. Wow. You got kissed by Etta James. I got a kiss by Etta James on the cheek with red lipstick. I kept it on my face for three days. You know, like every musician's got to play the really shite shows where you uh, you wind up playing to. We actually like one of our shows that we played, which was, is burned into my memory, was we showed up at this venue in this tiny town. So bearing in mind, this is like nine years ago or 
yeah, eight or nine years ago at this point, a tiny town and in middle of the winter. And we've been planning, like we've been in correspondence with the venue, but they didn't tell us we needed to bring our own PA. They didn't tell us that there was no stage. We show up and there's like a pub full of people who are drunk watching like, I don't know, some football or rugby game. I cannot remember at this point in time, but they were all drunk. And they said, no, we want you to go play in the corner. And they said that they would still pay us. So obviously we're we're driving around the country spending loads of money because the dollar at the time was so low. Uh, we're like, well, we'll just play in the corner. And so we did. And I kid you not, we're playing in the corner of this bar and like a, a 35, 40 year old man stands up in front of us and moons us. <laughs> I was like, where are we? <laughs> so we, we definitely like we played some we played some good shows. Or we played some absolutely terrible shows on that trip, but it was the right right decision to go for sure. Our goal with this podcast has been both to highlight and share some of the incredible talents we have in the Canadian industry and to really show the variety of careers that exist in music outside of being an artist. Here's Jocelyn Greenwood of Cordova Bay Records and Jets Overhead and Courtney Harkin of Baseline Music on advice that they have for anyone interested in pursuing a career in the music industry. You know, when I've done going to conferences and done, you know, sat on panels and different things, I think the, the thing that seems to be the most consistent is to uh, meet as many people as you can mm-hmm. and ask as many questions as you need to, um, you know, respectfully. Yeah. I think <laughs> people are happy to share their knowledge and mm-hmm. happy to help you learn, um, you know, with the, as long as you're not, they're not being pestered. Um, I think say yes to everything as mm-hmm. long as, it, you know, you're not, <laughs> you're still being true to your your own self mm-hmm. um you know the you never know what opportunity is going to lead to the next opportunity so yeah, of course. um you know being willing to to try things and work hard is is key uh it, i think the biggest thing though just from personal experience too is is don't be disillusioned about what it is to be a quote-unquote rock star yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it is an incredible amount of work mm-hmm. uh, to be in this business. You have to sacrifice a lot of things in other parts of your life. Um, it's not a nine to five job. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think, and even on the business side too, same would apply. Uh, I think you have to be willing to really kind of throw everything you have at it mm-hmm. and um, you really want it because if you don't, then it could, uh, you know, become kind of a harsh reality yeah yeah I can imagine. yeah it's, it's it's something that you know you have to be maybe slightly more dedicated to than you would you know something that was a more typical nine-to-five job yeah um which is uh, you know any anytime you're an artist it's of course it's going to be the case yeah you know the other piece of advice i'd, I'd always tell people who are starting out as a musician is know your rights yeah Uh, know them inside and out and know you know what it is that you what it is to own intellectual property uh there's a lot of value there Mm -hmm. um you need to really know how to harness that and not get ripped off yeah definitely anyone i talk to i tell them that any sort of thing that you can pad your resume with that will put you above and beyond your competitors basically uh, so whether that's volunteer whether that's internships 
um, part-time jobs within the industry, anything you can do that will give you that essential experience that's going to put you above and beyond the rest. So I was so fortunate that I got that, you know, the first um, job that I received in London that my boss took a chance on me because um, aside from my retail gigs that I worked in high school and throughout college um, and then my my education, I didn't I didn't take any I didn't do any internships or any volunteer work um, within the industry specifically. So um, I was so fortunate enough that I was able to get that position out of college. But since then, I've worked with a number of university and college students as interns for departments that I've worked in. And I find it so valuable and so important, even when the interns may think that they're doing tasks that are daunting or not valuable, valuable, just the fact that you're able to be surrounded by the industry and by what's happening and what's going on and learn from the people who are, you know, overseeing your internship or what have you. It's that sort of thing is so important and provides so much more depth to your resume than what just your education is going to provide. I feel like the way that, um, I don't want to say the market is because that's not the right word, but there's just so many people graduating school. And I find, especially in the music industry, a lot of people think, look at the music industry as being, you know, just like really cool. And like these gigs are super cool to work in and they'd be so much fun and that sort of thing. So you've got to think a lot of people are thinking that way. And a lot of people want to land those jobs. Um, they're high, highly sought after and which makes it more difficult to get in. So anything that you can do, I know, you know, most internships are free and volunteer work is free and that's hard to do, especially if you're trying to juggle a school schedule and a part-time job or whatever it may be. But I had an intern once who had, I want to say he had two internships, a part-time job, plus he was going to university. And um, so it can be done. I think you just need to learn how to prioritize and organize your life and figure out what what's most important to you. Is it going out on weekends and having fun with your friends or is it getting your education getting valuable experience so you can land your dream job afterwards I think each person needs to figure that out on their own but that would be my biggest advice well that's it for today I hope you enjoyed this look back at our first season and I hope it inspires you to go back and listen to some of the episodes that you haven't heard already I've linked to each of them in the episode description so make sure you check those out All of our guests have had such unique and interesting experiences in the music business, and I've learned so much from each and every one, so I'm stoked I got to share it with you. A big thank you once again to each and every one of our guests, Kirsten Ludwig, Quinn Bates, Sarah McDougall, Jocelyn Greenwood, Haley Blay, Joey Clarkson, Renee Crawford, David Ward, Jeanette Wilkinson, Alexis Young, Courtney Harkin, Elaine Bombery, Murray Porter, Boslin, Isaac Markinson, Genevieve Reset, Catherine Calder, and Dino Chilodi. It was a pleasure to speak with you all. And of course, a huge thank you to everyone who has listened and subscribed. You're the best, and I really, really appreciate the support. As I said previously, next week we'll be back in starting season two with Crescent and Kane DeBeer, an artist manager team originally from Afghanistan who now live in Vancouver. We've also got a new off-key project coming out called Newscast, where Membrane Canada CEO Dino Chilodi will be talking about some of the news and happenings in music and tech. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss it. Anyways, that's it for now, and if you have any topics that you'd like me to bring up with one of our next guests, please either email me at offkey at membrane.net Or you can always send me a message at either Membrane Labs or Linsa Arnold on Instagram. See you next time.